It has an ass on its logo. Ass being okay. a yeah. mule, right? A mule is a cross between a horse and an ass. Yeah. So we haven't earned enough money to ride horses yet. So we are still riding on asses. Asses. All right. Yeah. yeah. And just yours and my asses right now. Exactly. But anyway, yeah. so we worked our asses off and then we took a week. Hello and welcome to the Metacast podcast. It's a podcast about us, meaning me, your host, Ilya Bezdilov, and my co-host, Arnab Decker, building a company. And on this podcast, we talk about the process, how we do this, our insights. We are essentially doing this in public. We are sharing a lot more than other people would. And we hope that will help us attract some following and make it easier for us to promote our podcast app when it comes out. You see, we are very transparent. <laughs> All right. So before we jump into everything else, what are we going to talk about today, Ilya? We are going to give a bit of an update on, on what's going on. And we also need to mention at least one thing we're improving during mm -hmm. this recording, because that's the goal we set. We always try to. Yeah. Yep. Uh, not always succeed, but always try to. And we are going to talk about the book that we published about three weeks ago. We are going to let you behind the covers and talk about the process, how it all went, what software we used, what was the process, and how we are trying to promote it now and what's working and what's not working, mostly yeah. not working <laughs> at this point. All right. Sounds good. By the way, do you know that today is a special episode? 33? No, it's the first time we can actually talk about current affairs and weather and all that. And it makes sense because we're recording it the day before this episode goes live. Oh, that's <laughs> right. Because we are so... Um, what's the right word for this? Uh, well, we failed to record last week. Uh, <laughs> I guess that's another way to say this. <laughs> Uh, that's why we are doing this on Tuesday, just before the episode comes out. On Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. So let's jump into the updates because this is one of the updates, right? Ilya and I took a bit of a, a relaxed week last week. Ilya had his like kids starting school again and all that. And I took a week off just before summer break ends. And before that, we worked our asses off. <laughs> Mark is explicit done for the episode. Sorry. I, I didn't know you had an ass, uh, like an animal. <laughs> so can yeah. we go on a tangent? <laughs> so we were at Naples this Saturday, which is a city on the Mexican Gulf side of Florida. It has a coffee shop called Badass. Okay. And it has an ass on its logo. Ass being okay. the yeah. mule, right? Yeah. It's a cross between a horse and a... No, that's, a mule is a cross between a horse and an ass. Yeah. So we haven't earned enough money to ride horses yet. So we are still riding on asses. Asses. All right. Yeah. yeah. And just yours and my asses right now. Exactly. But anyway, yeah. so we worked our asses off and then we took a week uh, break while listening to like our feedback and all that. Yeah. We onboarded a few users. They're using it, getting some good feedback. We launched uh, our private beta on Monday last week, which was August 21st, it will go down in history as the day we sent the first email to about 10 yeah. users yeah, and gave them access to the app, which was yeah. actually, I think I was so tired 
I didn't feel much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was on a ferry already by the time you sent it. <laughs> yeah. Off to Vancouver Island. Uh, but yeah, so because we took that breather at a week off, and we were thinking that we'll record while I'm in Vancouver Island, but that probably wasn't a good idea anyway. So here we are recording the day before the episode comes out tomorrow. So yes, which means I'll have to produce this episode myself. I can't outsource it. There's right. just not enough time. So we'll see how it comes out. One thing I think we should mention is we have been driving people more towards our newsletter because mm -hmm. what we are seeing with podcasts, podcasts don't promote themselves. No app, no Spotify or Apple would show our podcast to new people. Mm -hmm. So we need to somehow get people into the podcast to let right. people know about that podcast even exists. And I've been pretty frustrated with social media in general more recently because I don't understand how their algorithms work. It's pretty chaotic. And they keep changing them and uh, you, you never know what's going to resonate yeah. with, with algorithms. So you start writing for algorithms as opposed to writing for the people. So yeah. one thing that we've changed over the last couple of weeks, we've repositioned our newsletter from being just a weekly update that, hey, there's a new episode into here are the things from behind the scenes from last week or so, where right. I write up three to five topics with insights about what's been going on, how it went, and what we personally learned from there, which actually I think resonates a lot more. We started to get a lot more views on those newsletters. Yeah. A bunch of people yeah. signed up. I think we almost doubled our subscription also. base. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so we encourage everybody to subscribe to that. If you're listening to yep. this, but, but haven't subscribed yet, go to metacastpodcast.com and just enter your email. And at some point, Ilya will just stop posting stuff on LinkedIn and Instagram and all that and just do it on the newsletter and free. Yeah. Once time. you have yeah. 5 million subscribers on the newsletter, <laughs> yes, maybe we can. <laughs> yeah. So but right, right now, I see that you are experimenting a lot, right? With the formats, the timing yeah. and all that and see what works yes. but it's unfortunately very chaotic and random yeah but now i'm thinking about uh, linkedin as more of a top of a funnel channel yeah. for us and i'm thinking about uh, instagram and tiktok more as sort of brand exposure because i don't think any subscribers or any listeners come from those mediums right. but there's but, a lot of likes and shares on those things exactly lots of likes i wouldn't say lots of shares but lots of likes and lots of views Yes. So we will just stick our logo at the top. Yeah. Like it's like a billboard. Whereas um, I think newsletter is where we really want to collect our audience, if it makes sense, on our own terms. So that, you know, we are not dependent on an algorithm that will decide that this email will be shown to you versus not. Okay. All right. I think you also wanted to talk about people's perception of what we're building versus what we're building. I was just talking to a friend an hour ago. Some good insights, I guess, too early to share in behind the scenes. We'll talk about it afterwards. Okay. But one thing he said is like, so you now building this podcast for podcasters, right? No, <laughs> we're building a podcast listening app, not a podcast for podcasters. And I think maybe those experiments that I've been doing haphazardly with content, they might have created this perception because a lot of that was about driving people to the podcast, you know, trying to entice people to subscribe to the podcast. And I guess people don't read everything that you write. They right. read, you know, the jump content and that creates the wrong perception. 
people read almost nothing and that's totally normal. <laughs> exactly, yes. <laughs> yeah. Which means we probably need to be more intentional about how we communicate. Yeah. And uh, maybe yeah, say that we are building a podcast app everywhere. When you say branding, I think that's another challenge that we'll have is how do we differentiate the app from the podcast because both are named Metacast right now and we're just like trying out all these things right now. Uh, but yeah, that's I think another thing we'll have to figure out. Yes, yeah. I think for now on the video side because that's where we have the branding kind of concern because we have a lot of uh, views on TikTok, for example, or YouTube yeah. shorts. And uh, these are clips from our own podcast right. with the Metacast brand slapped on them. Right. I think eventually when we have the app, we should just say that we should basically use those clips as an ad for the app. Uh, we could, like write something about the app there. Yeah. I think for now we can just stick our brand name. Yeah, we'll see. Okay. Those last clips from Corey Quinn podcast from the 32nd podcast from the last episode, they performed really, really well on YouTube shorts, which was right. surprising. Did you say nine? Are, I was obviously like not paying full attention. I was on a trip, but I think you said nine hours listened or watched or something like that. Maybe more by now, but there were yeah. 1400 views. Yeah. And it's like a 28 second clip. And there was a very high rate of people actually finishing it. Which was, which is good, pretty, yeah. pretty good, yeah. Shall we get on with the entree of the day? Yeah, I'm hungry. Right. And now that we've talked about, we are building the app and the we're doing the podcast. Obviously, you're doing the newsletter. In addition, because Ilya has a lot of free time, he also wrote a book. It's called The Pragmatic Podcaster. I finished it in about three and a half days. It was awesome. While I, I got it on Kindle, I don't usually read on Kindle. I like to listen to audiobooks more. And I was actually thinking, wouldn't it be awesome to hear this book by Ilya, like Ilya narrating it on Audible someday? But I think, yeah, before we get there, I said, okay, let me whip up my Kindle. I'm on vacation anyway. So I read it. It was very engaging. I left a review also on Amazon. But I'll quickly say what I liked most was that it wasn't just the technical parts. It was very motivating and inspiring. And some of the quotes, like every once in a while, you'll pull in a quote that would like very resonate with me a lot. And it gave me the like, yes, this is exactly like pragmatic that you're talking about. So, yeah, I loved it. I wish this was the book I had when we were starting. But thankfully, you were there in person to guide me through the steps. So, yeah. Yeah. Basically, this book is just a download of everything that I know and what we've learned from the people we had on the, on the show, which right. became what I know <laughs> for, right. from them. But also your two previous podcasts and you have done some more audio, like other types of audio, not just podcasts. So it's a synthesis of all of that information. Uh, yeah. I think the first time I did production for music was in 2001, maybe 2000 right. even, because when I got my first guitar, I immediately started recording and then kind of learning all of that by, by doing. Producing for podcasts is different, but also similar in many ways, because it's the same right. kind of technology you're dealing with. The reason why we wanted to do this initially, the hypothesis is that 
we can sell some books and have a revenue stream while we are building the app because right now we have not made any money from the app because it's not, it's not released yet. So that's why we published the book. We also created the t-shirts, which nobody is buying yet uh, because we have well, those who wanted to buy them already bought them and our audience has not been growing as fast to like right. in- increase the pool of people who can buy merch. But, but book, uh, we thought that it's a very wide range of people who can discover the book, pay us $9.99. We get about $5 from that amount as a royalty from Amazon. And that would help us bootstrap our business while we are working on the technology. That's the origin of how we started this. While we were doing the app already and the podcast, why did you also decide to write the book like at that time and not, not say like long time after? Oh, that's because the, the reason was that we wanted to get some money sooner. Yeah. And uh, I also had more time on my hands because it was before we installed all of the right. coding stuff on my computer. Right. And I, I was in this stage where I'm like, I don't feel like I'm contributing enough anyway. So let me just right. try use doing that. that. Time. Yeah. yeah, use it, use the time. We'll talk about your process a little bit later. We'll also talk about the ad campaign and what you're doing with that. Again, experiments there. Yeah. But before all that, what is the book about? It is about launching a podcast. Mm-hmm. The title is the, the Pragmatic Podcaster. And the mm-hmm. subtitle is A Step-by-Step Guide to Launching an Amazing Podcast. What I loved is you have thought through every freaking thing that could come up when you think about launching a podcast, right? Yeah, except one thing, which I realized later on. is like, is when that? do you mark your podcast as explicit? Okay. That's the only thing I forgot, I think. Uh, we can yeah. add that as an addendum. That's a good topic because we have debated over it a few times, right? Is this explicit or not? And right. Yeah. It's a bit subjective, I guess, also based on the creator. But there are some things that are objective. Like if you talk about like sex or violence or suicides. Um, su- suicides. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. We just made it explicit. Uh, <laughs> or did we? Because, because we don't talk about suicides, right? And we just mentioned the word. Right. If, if you, if you discuss these topics that right. uh, makes the podcast episode explicit. Because right. you don't want younger audiences to hear about this. I guess now right. we just mentioned this in this context, educational context. I think it's fine. See, this is perfect example to go into your book <laughs> as a new yeah. chapter or something like that. But apart from that, like from scheduling guests, how to send out emails so that you have a higher rate of success of response. And you have got a lot of success so far, right? From big names saying, yes, yes, let's do it. Uh, so that there's a lot of experience there already. We've just signed up one more big name. Yep. Yep. That's, we're recording September 20th. Yeah. He's <laughs> a very that. big name professor. Um, yes. Can you teach entrepreneurship? I think will be one of the primary topics we'll discuss. It's right. going to be very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And the technical stuff, right? How do you choose a mic? How do you do post-production? After that, what do you do? All of that. But also what you have given is for your budget and your time. So throughout the book, in every chapter, what I really liked is, see, like you could spend two days doing this, or you could spend half an hour, and this is what you'll get. If you spend half an hour, this is what you'll get if you spend two days on it, and it's up to you. That's where, that's where the, the pragmatic part comes in. Yeah, Exactly. And that's what I really liked, because it's for like multiple audiences, and 
based on how much time the person who is creating the podcast has, they can figure out which route to go through. Yeah, so I actually nice think about it uh, as less of a multiple audiences question, but more as how do you start with the most minimal things you can? Right. And then you grow from there. You right. sort of start with the base and then you pile up other things. And right. some people like me, for example, when I first started, I'm like, I'm going to make it freaking the perfect. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> perfect yeah. right away. Yeah, and yeah. That's, that's why it took me like three months to, yeah. to publish the first episode. That was actually my favorite quote from the book. I already knew the quote, but the way you placed it, and I've, I think you've done it in multiple places, is like perfect is the enemy of done. It's not just the podcast. Why it resonated with, with me more is my last 15 years, I've been working at big companies where, especially when you launch to like external customers, millions of people in case of AWS, right? It has to be pretty much perfect in a lot of ways. From the technology and security perspective, not Reli from UX perspective as the <laughs> right. has shown. But reliability, <laughs> scalability and all, it has yeah. to be perfect. Otherwise, it erodes the brand name of AWS. Right. Whereas now with the app, we're making these decisions every day. No, it doesn't. Like, we don't need to do this. We don't need to do that right now. And it's almost like, in the back of my head, before jumping into this, I knew that we'd have to do that. But now I'm living it day by day. And I'm really like enjoying. And this that's why this quote that perfect is the enemy of done it resonates with me a lot. And I love how you use that to tell the user or guide the reader that this is why, forget about it. We can do this later. Perfect example, the name for your podcast. And I was surprised when I read it first. But later on, I thought, yeah, it makes sense. Because what you said is, pick a name. These are the guidelines, right? Make it unique and all that. But don't think too much about it. You can change it always. Yes. The, yeah. the cool thing about the podcast is that you can always change it later. Unlike, let's say, books. And we can talk about the process a, a bit later. But once it's out there, you're starting to build some brand equity. Well, I guess it's true for the podcast as well. But with the book, the important thing there is that there is a gatekeeper like Amazon. Yeah. Uh, so they are that Cerberus dog, you know, at right. the entrance <laughs> of the, of that kingdom of books. And every time you submit a change, you have to format in a specific way. They do the review. So it's a lot of uh, overhead that goes into the process. Whereas with podcasts, the way they are distributed, and by the way, I also describe this in the book, because I'm like, actually, there are really people who are technically inclined. Why not just spend two pages and tell them how, how it's democratized, how podcasts are just files on the internet that are downloaded by your podcast app. It's no more than that. And it's like a web page. You can just update it anytime you want. And then next time somebody listens to this, they will hear a different thing or see a different name and all that or see a different cover. And the first few episodes, like nobody's going to listen to those anyway, unless you're, you're already a big name. Uh, but also if you're already a big name, you can just use your name as the name of a podcast. <laughs> or, or somebody might come back after you have done a lot of episodes and become like big, come back and listen. But that's okay. That's going to be a handful of people. Yes. Actually, that reminds me of our fourth episode with Jake. Uh, and Jonathan. And Jonathan, yeah. Yeah. So their episode, their broadcast was initially called the Product Breakfast Club. That's yeah. how it was called when I discovered them. Then they renamed to Jake and Jonathan just on a whim, it sounds like. Yeah. We talk about that in our episode four. Yeah. 
kind of felt weird to me when I first listened to this, but after a couple of episodes, I'm like, okay, I guess it's just called Jake and Jonathan now. Right. Um, it, all of these things, they don't matter. What matters is what you, what you have to say. After you told me about it, I didn't feel that transition at all because I started later. Yeah, y- y- yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I didn't see that at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so half of the book is technical, what kind of mic, post-processing, what kind of tools, how do you use those tools effectively, all of that, hosting, publishing, and all that. You go into the RSS spec a little bit and all that. Yeah, so the interesting thing about the technical bits, by the way, is that none of them are complex. For even post-production, for somebody who's never done audio, it might feel like, oh my God, this is just... Yeah, I don't want to. Don't even want to deal with this. It's too complex, uh, right? But if you break this all down into small parts, they are pretty simple. It's just right. there are a lot of them, and you need to pull them all into a system. And that's right. what I tried to do with the book. I think the post production part I really kept to the minimum because I didn't want to scare people. But also, right. I think I was listening to Guy Raz this morning. Uh, to the, how I built this podcast. Yeah, that's really man, well produced. Man, he sounds good. He and yeah. his guests, it sounds so good. And it's not just the sound, it's all the music of the interplay, yeah. the narrative. It's almost, it's an interview, but it's also like a narrative show. Exactly, yeah. And just how he manages the conversation, it is just so good. And I'm like, if I wanted to achieve the same level from the get-go, yeah. I would have never launched. This, right. this podcast, exactly. it's still... We are, what, 33 episodes in? We are still not there yet. And right. we may actually never be there. Right. And this is where the perfect is the enemy of done comes in. Like, right. do the minimal technical part, get yeah. it out, and then improve one thing at a time every right. time you release a new episode. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And the other half of the book, so this is what I connected with more. So here's what I'll say. The technical parts, if I was starting a podcast on my own, I think that would be the biggest hurdle for me is the post-production, especially the audio, right? And this part, thankfully, you do it. So I still don't, and I don't understand most of it anyway. But reading the book gave me a great overview of what am I looking for, at least, at the very least. Like, what tools? In those tools, what do I do? What are the steps and all that? And I think if I were to start a podcast, at least I have a grounded base from where to start. Because without yeah. that, I would just maybe I'd discover some automatic podcast editing tool or something like that and just go with it because I wouldn't know better or how to do it better. Even if I were to spend like maybe just 15 minutes more. Yeah. When I was doing my first degree back 15 years ago, almost 20 years ago, we had a professor who was teaching theory of probability, kind of statistics and all that stuff. And he was a dean as well, you know, the head of the faculty. He said that we are not teaching you anything. We are teaching you to learn. You're learning to learn. That's, that's how he positioned uh, the whole education. And I think it took me some time to actually figure out what he meant, because when you're 18 years old, you expect to be just spoon-fed stuff, right? Yeah. But I still I think do. Na- sure. Now, almost 20 years later, sometimes I have this thing like, I know what it is. I heard about it. So they gave me the map. And yeah. then I can use that map to just go 
and read more about this. Yeah. I don't remember what they taught us 20 years ago, but I yeah. know this thing exists. And also if, let's say, I work with other people and I yeah. have to manage them, right? Yeah. I understand what they do on a high level. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's the same thing maybe for you with the, the post-production thing. Like you don't do it, but yeah. you probably have much more appreciation to what is being done, right. what you don't see. Right. And uh, let's say if... I were to get sick or something and you had to work with the contractor to post-produce this, Right. you would at least know what they're doing. What to expect. It's not yeah. a black box anymore. And I could give actually useful feedback about like how this part is working or this part is not working. Oh, you got to make the compressor a bit more. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but I think uh, drawing a parallel, I think what you said also, I see that in my experience with programming. In the beginning when I would learn something, I want to call this the bottom-up approach. I would learn how to write a function in that language, how to declare a variable, and that sort of like nitty-gritty details. And there. Now, when I get exposed to a new language or something entirely new, I don't even think about those things anymore. Because it's the more and more of this you do, the easier it gets because you know that there are only a few ways of writing a function. Yes, the syntax is going to be a bit different, but you'll get used to it in a couple of days, right? Do you think you could, do you think you could use Duolingo to learn the programming language? It's interesting. I, my gut says the bite-sized education thing is probably not suitable for a language, especially in the beginning, but then again, like if you're learning an entirely new language, it feels, um, my gut would have said the same thing, that it's not possible to do it in these bite-sized five minutes every day kind of thing. But, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I think maybe it gets easier if you know a few languages and you want to learn a new one, that kind of format might work really well. But I think when people jump into programming the very first time, it's almost like it's all colors on this. Like one of the first reactions I get from people who don't know anything about programming and they see my ID is how colorful it is. <laughs> how many colors are there? All the how text colors, is colored. Yeah. Basically, yeah. what you do is like you type colored text. <laughs> yes. So if you start from there, I think the bite size format might not work in the beginning. But yeah. maybe after that, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's okay. post production that's similar as in you can't just do something, you have to understand the fundamentals. Like you need to understand what the waveform is, what the track right. is, what right. volume is, how you can mute it and right. how you make those like basic things. So what I was trying to do in, uh, in what I did in the book is I basically stripped out all of the non-essential things. Like what is the absolute minimum you have to do to do the basic edits, right? And then right. you can, and this is three pages of text, essentially. It's three or four different things. It's, it's very little. Right. One of the things that inspired me with that, when we were doing an interview with Guang and Ronak, our episode 14, I believe, Software Misadventures, right. yeah. when they said that they spent too much time post-producing. Yeah. And they also use Audacity, which is the free tool. Yes. Yeah. So I have half a page on Audacity in the book as right. well. I downloaded it. And I'm like, just how bad is it? Compared to, maybe I just don't I know how to use it well enough, but you know, compared to Reaper. Reaper. Yeah. Reaper is something that you have to pay for. Uh, just right. 60 bucks. It's like the grand scheme of things, it's nothing. Right. Actually, you can even use it for free. I don't think they will force you to pay. You right, will start right. to violate 
the terms of service after 60 days. But the thing is, for 60 days, you can use it for, I think it's 60 days. You can use it for free, uh, under free trial. It has no limits. Justin Frankel right. on our episode 16 actually talked about that. Yeah. He's the creator of Reaper. He said it's too much hassle to introduce limits. You can just use it for free, essentially, if you want to. It's just yeah. not be ethical and karma will bite you back in the ass right. if you do that. But right. yeah, anyway. But the tool is just so much more powerful than Audacity. And also than GarageBand that uh, Brian McCullough is using just for our second episode. When I was playing with those tools, I'm like, oh my God, these guys, they could have sped up their workflow by maybe a factor of 1.5x if they learned two or three keyboard shortcuts in Reaper and bought a good mouse, and that would be just like it. And I think people try to do a lot of it free software and... uh, Post-production is one of those things where you can do a lot with free, but you will spend a lot more time yeah. uh, than if you and this is pay also, the money. And this is also the sort of stuff that once you get used to a tool, even if you're inefficient, you're unlikely to change to another tool because there is a learning curve to the new tool. This is a very good point. I think the same applies to IDs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And... What I also liked is, again, like I said, I had no understanding of any of this before the book. Once I read it, I don't think like I could go and without the book, I could go and do it right now. So I don't have that level of expertise, obviously. But I think once you start doing it, you also start to see how you could do it in Audacity or in Logic Pro or in these other tools. And with that grounded base of one tool, you know how to do it in one tool, you know what you're trying for or what to Google for if you want to do the same thing in Logic Pro. Because right now, if I were to start, I wouldn't even know what to search for if I want to do this in Audacity. That's actually a very good point because you can hear this sound, let's say, like when you yeah. slice the your reverb. audio yeah. and no, the clipping. Clipping sound, the clipping, right? yeah, yeah. It's so like when you slice in the middle of a sound, it creates this, which will probably yeah. be, the sound I just made will probably be actually cut out by the thing that I use to post-produce. You don't know what it's called. What are you going to type in, in Google, right? Yeah. Uh, and I remember when I first started, first of all, there was no Google. Yeah. <laughs> 2001, there was Google, but it was not like it is it today. Good, you, yeah. you couldn't just watch yeah. a YouTube tutorial. Right. By the way, one thing I, I, I did not attempt to do in the book is to explain everything. Because right. I think a book is not the right medium, medium for yeah. teaching you how to do compression, for example. Press because this just, button, press that, yeah, after that, yeah. Because yeah. the thing is, you have to hear it. Yes. And it's very difficult to explain what you're supposed to hear if you actually don't hear it. I I faced it recently with uh, some of the Google help pages where they don't have any screenshots. And then like you you, like go here, you go there, you click there. And there are like five or six different steps. I can't remember any of them. I have to go back and forth. Whereas if you had a screenshot or a video, I would have just immediately got it like in 30 seconds. And uh, that's the same point I'm making in the book um, explicitly and intentionally is go and look up compression when you're ready to get to the next level. Go and look up this, go and look up that. I think eventually we should create our own videos so we refer people to our own stuff. But until we have that, there is lots and lots of content that will teach you. But the thing, like you said, but how do you discover that what you need is is compression or what you need is EQ or what you need is reverb if you don't even know the term reverb? Yeah. And you made okay. it very simple in the book, explaining these things in a sentence or two. The overall, the whole book is 
very easy to read right that's why i finished it in 3 days this is why i don't read physical books is in audio i can progress much faster right yeah. i don't know it's just my the way i consume information in audio i can like probably finish the same book in 2 3 days but if i read it on kindle it will take me over easily 3 4 weeks right yeah this is why it was very engaging like quick like chapters one or two page and i felt like kindle also shows you what percentage you're on and i would turn the page a few times and i'm like okay great 20% done already is awesome yeah anyway yeah. okay so the other half of the book and i think this is the part that resonated with me a lot more because i understand those things more is the non technical stuff are there any highlights you want to talk about in that space Yeah, I think one of the most important things for us and the things actually that we've been successful at and I was I was successful at with my previous podcast is sourcing guests. Is like working up that guest ladder. Yeah. As we actually, actually I think you came up with that term. Or, or maybe Brian no, McCullough came up with that term. Brian McCullough did. It. Yeah. It's basically like you don't start asking Elon Musk for an interview. Right. right. Actually, there was somebody on LinkedIn. Somebody I know. He's like, I want to start a podcast. I want my first guest to be Lex Friedman. Can somebody introduce me to him? I followed up with him afterwards. I'm like, Were you able to get Lex? He's like, No, uh, no, uh, couldn't couldn't get to him. Right. Right. Which is totally understandable. Like when right. nobody knows you, it's it's very right. hard. But when you're Lex Friedman, you have these pictures on Instagram where you are like with Joe Rogan and uh, Andrew Huberman yeah. celebrating your yeah, birthday. Yeah. And then the next picture is like Alex with Elon Musk. It's taken him probably 8 years, 10 years to get where he is yeah. right now. So it yeah. takes time. It takes time to build up the the thing. And yeah. there is no overnight the, success. Yes. I think one of the highlights that in the book that I sharing is like how do you actually engage those people, those higher profile yeah. people? How do you write emails to them? Because even now sometimes I get uh, messages like somebody wrote to me like oh like can you tell me more about your your startup my first reaction is like what 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 do you want to know i mean that's my response to him like can like, can you be more specific but my but behind my head right like who are you why why am i supposed to respond to your message at all right. and also tell you about my startup it just doesn't make sense right, right. i don't know who you are the same thing applies in cold emails like when yes. you write to somebody you can't just like straight away ask them for stuff but at the yeah. same time you have to sort of ask them for stuff right away otherwise they don't know what you're talking they about yeah yeah they just and this dismiss is, it if it's not clear exactly. yeah and this is this balance right where yeah. uh, i guess we can talk about it now like whenever i write an email to somebody or a message i always start with the tldr so that yeah. uh, people know what exactly it yeah. is you know they are reading and the yeah. tldr is like straight to the point like i'm a host yeah. of this podcast we yeah. would like to invite you to talk about x y and z and then long story below then you go into yeah i also really like the part about building the connection because we receive some cold emails nowadays right saying they, hey, they all I go love to trash cold they trash all... <laughs> oh they're cold trash but they go with oh i love your metacast podcast do you want to do something like this and then The first few I think I I talked to you about it and you replied immediately saying which episode did you like and there's no <laughs> reply. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that shows that it's just fluff. It's an attempt at a cold outreach email but they haven't actually listened to anything. 
Yeah. Actually, like the next guest that we are having on our podcast, he was a professor of mine at Wharton. So, but it's been almost 10 years since right. I'm almost positive he doesn't remember me. Uh, maybe he will remember my face when he sees me, but like we haven't talked for eight years at this point. Right. And we haven't really been like close. I was just a student of his. So even then when I reached out to him, I'm like, yeah, like I'm your, st- I'm your former student, et cetera, et cetera. But I am also like a user of your product because he created a very cool scooter, which I write. And yeah. I also mentioned a few stories that he told us in class, which I mean, I clearly remember. So there is like nothing manipulative there. But, but there is in a sense, because I know that these stories that I recite back to him, he will resonate with that. Right. So that uh, it's kind of a hook, right? Uh, yeah. So when you write emails, you have to be authentic, but you also have to be very intentional <laughs> yeah. about uh, what you're talking about. You, genuine, I think, yeah. Genuine. And I think specificity yeah. is very important because yeah. specificity is what makes you believable. Yes. Credibility. Yeah. yeah, it adds that credibility. Okay. So where can people buy this book? Yeah, we've suffered like for half an hour. We've been telling people how great the book is. Right now it's published in two places. We have it on Gamroad at the www.pragmaticpodcaster.com. Mm-hmm. It's a domain that will get you to, to Gamroad, which mm-hmm. is a self-publishing platform for any kind of electronic content. You can buy it there for at nine ninety nine at this point. But I think code. yesterday we were doing an experiment where you give us anything you like. I don't know actually, where we left. Oh, actually, yes, we did an experiment. You can use a promo code, which is right there on the page. And you can download it for free. And we can talk about it later. We did it for like to test some of the stuff in the ads. So if right. you're listening to this and if you go to the pragmaticpodcaster.com and if you see the huge letters with the code, I think the code is Labor Day. Labor Day, okay. Yes. Uh, then you get the book for free. So yeah, use your chance and it will expire next week. Yeah. Use this opportunity uh, and give us a review after you read this. And the second place you can buy it is Amazon. So you can yeah. just go to Amazon, search Pragmatic Podcaster. You can click a link in the show notes, but you can also search because I think once you search, it will teach the Amazon search engine to remember that people search for this. So it will show it in suggestions. And on Amazon, you can buy it either a Kindle version for $9.99 or... A paperback, paperback, which I just received. It's, it's awesome. Actually, it feels very nice. It's about 200 pages. Uh, it's a bit more pages than Kindle because there are some blank pages to make it look right. nicer. Uh, it's 14.99 and there's also hardcover, which is 24.99. Like, and I would say this, whichever one you buy, we get about 550 or so in royalty. Yeah. It's just the Kindle version is so much cheaper for Amazon to distribute. Yeah. And then paperback is very cheap to print and hardcover seems to be very expensive to like print and all of those stuff that they take. We end up like five bucks out of 25, 25. bucks. Yeah. That's why I'm like, this is just not reasonable to price it at this point. I wanted to have a hardcover and it right. was the only price point where it made any sense at all. Um, if you wanted to make any money from it. I think that's probably why the hardcover prices of anything is like way more, more than twice the paperback usually. Yeah. But it, it also feels so much nicer. I got it yeah. um, like a trial sample thing, which has not for resale all over the right. cover. So I right. can't just order a bunch of them and resale them. <laughs> so that one costs 750 that I paid to Amazon just for production costs. I think, yeah, I think production cost is 750. And then I also paid three bucks for shipping. So it ended up costing me 10 bucks. 
like no markup. Yeah. Okay. So, so, if so but, but, but this, this is why it's important. If you want to support us and buy a book, if you buy a more expensive one, it doesn't mean you support us more. Right. <laughs> Just okay. if you get the cheapest one or the the most expensive one, you, we still we get, get our five same. bucks. Yeah. yeah. So if Amazon. you want to, if you do yeah. just to support us, get the cheapest one. <laughs> yeah. If you like Kindle, get it on Kindle. Otherwise, get the paperback. Yeah. There. Yeah. Get the paperback. Uh, like hardcover is just there. You know, you always have to have like three price points so that people choose yeah. the middle one. <laughs> yeah. And I think if you get it and you read it, please leave an honest review of what you thought about it. That would be, help uh, us the most. And yes. if you can, copy-paste the same review into Gumroad as well as Amazon. Uh, Gumroad doesn't support reviews. Where, where did I leave? A, I left a review somewhere, no? On Amazon. Wasn't there a rating or something I did on Gumroad? So on Gumroad, you can leave a rating, but not review. Oh, rating, but no reviews. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So Gumroad supports oh. five-star ratings, but no reviews. <laughs> Amazon only supports five-star ratings. <laughs> Amazon supports any ratings. Yeah. yeah. I think I think I think we need we mostly need uh, four and five stars, and once we get to a certain scale, we probably need a few threes, so right. that it looks believable. Okay. So we are forty-eight minutes in. Okay. Of a, of a half of a half an episode. So Arnab, let's do this. Uh, let's split this into a two-part episode. So yeah. this will be the end of the episode 33 part one. Yep. And next week we'll have the part two where we, where we will talk about the process. The behind the covers of the behind the covers. Yes. And the process, kind of, I guess actually the more interesting stuff. Because right. this episode was all mostly around like how great it all is and how we think about the content. Yeah. Uh, next episode will be more around how you actually write a book. Yeah. And, and uh, your experience writing a book, promoting the book, ads, yeah. and all of those things. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. A sample of one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. See you next then, week. See you.